Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Just quickly, uh, there's no need for anyone else to come up and remind me what football team I go for. Uh, I've probably had five or six people come and remind me that I go for the uh, West Coast Eagles. I do know I go for the Eagles. Good on the Dockers. They're doing very well. Um, yes. Um, yeah, I won't say anything because we're, we're, I want to I say something, but we just, we're just struggling, so I can't. Let's get into the, the, into the sermon this morning. Uh, I was reading actually an interesting little thing. Uh, actually, it was a video TED Talk by a researcher, uh, and she wrote uh, a paper, I think it was a paper or a book, uh, The Secret of Living Longer May Be Your Social Life. And her name was uh, Susan Pinker. She's a social uh, science columnist and she did a TED talk, 2017 she did a TED talk and she spoke about her research and part of her research she discovered that there was something like 10 uh, times uh, as many centurions, a centurion is someone who has lived to 100 years old, any centurions in here? No, does anyone know any centurions, someone who is over 100 years old? Okay, a few, few of them, excellent. Uh, and anyway, in her research, she, she discovered that there was 10 times more centurions in this tiny little Italian island of uh, Sardinia compared to the United States of America. And so part of her research was, why, why are all these Sardinians, what, how come there's more centurions there than there is in the USA? We've got the best medical, we've got all this kind of stuff. And, and they looked at it. Was it the olive oil? Was it the, the, um, the food, the sun, the beautiful sun and the weather? And there was a whole heap of different things that probably uh, made this the case. But one of the most surprising things that she uh, came to or she drew the conclusion was that it was the quality of close personal relationships and face-to-face interactions. Uh, on this little island in Italy, there was a, a lot of f- the family unit and the community, the villages were very connected. And she believed that that, was, that played a huge role into these people's lives being happier and living longer. And this is what she actually said. Here's one of her direct quotes up here on the, the screen. She says, building in personal interactions into our cities, into our workplaces, into our genders, sends feel-good hormones surging through the bloodstream and brain and helps us live longer. I call this building your village, and building it and sustaining it is a matter of life and death. It's good for your health. It turns out uh, to be rich in communal relationships and others. So she's basically saying this communal rea- uh, interaction is actually good for our health. It's not just what you eat, it's who you eat with. Uh, you may have heard uh, John Ortberg, he shares quite a common uh, story. You may have heard this, he's written a book called Everyone is Normal until you get to know them, which I think is an appropriate uh, title for a book. Has anyone read that book? It's quite a popular book. He, in this book, he tells uh, a similar kind of story uh, as, as to Susan Pinker, that uh, they did some research. This was broader research, about 7,000 people, and they followed their lives over about uh, a few decades, and they looked at their health and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And actually, what they discovered was that people who live in isolation... Uh, so not connected with anyone, 
were three times more likely to die prematurely than those who had strong relational connections. Now, we get that. We understand that. We can believe that. Yeah, that makes sense. If you've got friends and you're connected in community, you're going to be healthier uh, and therefore your chances, uh, you're going to live longer. But what was quite incredible about the research was they go in to say that that this, this, uh, what they discovered was that people who had bad health habits, so like eating too much food uh, or, or, or drinking too much, consuming too much alcohol, even smoking, it's the, the, the people that had bad health habits, but who had great relational connections. So if you had bad health habits and great relational connections, actually lived significantly longer than people who had good health habits, so ate good food and no social ties or no relational connections. They actually lived longer. So if you eat junk, but have good relational connections, you live longer than someone who eats Uh, uh, good food but has no social connections. I find that really interesting. So it's better to eat chocolate and donuts with friends than eat cauliflower on your own. Um, I'm sure it's good if you eat cauliflower and broccoli with other people, then you've got got the double whammy. Uh, But I'll go over the chocolate and the donuts with friends. Um, Interesting that just the power of community connection in our own well-being and in our own health. Now, I think most of us know this. We've heard this before, uh, that it's not good to isolate, we're, we're to connect inside of, of community. Um, but the, the, the importance of community, we know, we understand, and maybe we even try to practice. But if we're honest, we, we also know that it can be actually really hard. People can be really difficult, can't they? Living with people, uh, even your own family units, can be hard and can be trying, uh, let alone uh, school communities, church communities, your suburb, your, your next door neighbour. So while community brings much benefit and happiness and joy and, and, and stimulation, all those types of things, it actually can be quite difficult as well. And sometimes you just want to go and hide and read a book. Who loves doing that? While eating donuts. No, you can't do that. You need to do that with someone else. Uh, But community can be hard. So how do we have a vibrant, healthy community? How do we have a vibrant, healthy Christian community? That's the the question. And this morning, we start a new series. Now, this series is going to be a 13-week series. We're going to break it up a little bit, but we're going to be doing basically, no, sorry, 14 weeks, 14 sermons on this, this subject. And the subject is one another. Turn to the person next to you and say, one another. One another. Now, this phrase is a common phrase in the New Testament, one another. And we see it, in fact, it's mentioned over 100 times in the New Testament. And actually, when it's mentioned, uh, around 59 times when it is mentioned, one another, it's actually uh, in the context of a, a, a direction or a command to do something. Uh, to, to love one another or to encourage one another. Uh, and, and this, 59 times it's mentioned. And it's, it's in the context of community. These one another's are building blocks to us, the church, of how we should do community. Community is hard and, and these one another's give us a guide, an instruction on how we should behave, on how we should engage, on how we should relate to each other, on how we should treat each other, on on what it means to be a Christian community. It provides a plan for a thriving Christian community. 
Now, like I said, there is over a hundred of these, these one another phrases. 59 of the times it's generally in a command or, or exalting us or exhorting us to do this. And we're going we're gonna to do 14 weeks and we're going to try to cover uh, most of them. Obviously, you can put them in groups. Uh, because if we, if we get a good understanding of all of us, then that helps all of those one another's. It helps us thrive as a community. You see, Christianity is, and we live in this generation, the selfie generation. We like to take a picture purely of ourselves. But Christianity isn't uh, about selfies. It's about the group shot. It's about the group photo. And, and a lot of the times, even when we come to the Bible... We bring that selfie mentality into the way we read the Scriptures, when actually it's more of a group photo. When we read through the epistles, a lot of the times when the Apostle Paul uses the word you or your, it's actually plural, and, and, but we read it as individual, you, 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 thinking us, but actually he's talking about the, the church. So it's not selfie, it's a group photo. Look at this passage, Romans 12. Uh, verse 5 up here on the screen, um, it says this, since we are all one body in Christ, so anyone who's a Christian, anyone who said yes to Jesus is part of that body, we belong to each other and each of us needs all the others. Now, you might disagree with that, you might say, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I need this person, but that's what the Word of God says, we belong uh, as one body, we all need each other. So turn to the person next to you and say, you need me. For some of you, that was easier said than, easier, easy to do. Now turn to the person and say, I need you. And so, so <laughs> we're doing the one another's, like I said, 14 weeks. I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to cover the majority of them. And this morning we start with the core one, which is love one another, that we are to love one another. In fact, out of the 59 of them, I think uh, the one another's, a third of the one another's are, are for, for loving one another's. A third of these one another statements is all about instructing us to love one another. And so it's a very important one. It's a foundational one of what it means to do Christian community. I look at these passages up here on the screen, 1 John uh, 4, 7, says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Okay, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Another passage here, this time by the Apostle Paul, he says, Be under, uh, be under obligation to no one, or some translations say, have no debt to anyone. The, the only obligation you have is to, the only debt you have is to love one another. Love one another. Whoever does this has obeyed the law. And then the Apostle Peter in First Peter says this. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another. And he even goes even further. Love one another deeply uh, from the heart. Now, you, you may have heard this numerous times if you've been coming to church. And, and in fact, not long ago, I think Peter talked about the, the different aspects of the, the, the Greek word love. There's, there's eros, eros, which is the erotic type or the passionate type of love and uh, the romantic type of love. And, and, and unfortunately for us as a society, when we hear the word love, that's where we tend to go. This passion, this, this lust even, but this erotic aspect of love, eros. 
Then there's also the uh, phileo, which is this brotherly love or this, this mateship. This is this kind of uh, loving one another. Or, or um, the, the city of Philadelphia is a city of what? Brotherly love. And that's that word. And then you get the, the, the word storg, which is a family kind of love, a love that you have for your siblings and your parents and that. And then you get this rich, rich word, which we all know is the agape. And maybe some of you have it tattooed on your arm somewhere because it's quite common. Cool Christians have the word agape tattooed on. But that's this unconditional love, this sacrificial love that God has for us. But actually, when we look at this one another, we see again... Uh, the scripture uses generally, not all the time, but this, this agape, this sacrificial, that we're to actually have this sacrificial love for each other. There's an interesting story I was reading about a guy by the name of Dr. Carl Menninger, and uh, he's a noted doctor and psychologist, and he did some research, and he wanted to look at how or what impact love, interestingly, uh, would have on the, the times that patients spent in hospital, so they have a procedure or they're sick, uh, how, could they reduce the, the time they spend in hospital just by experiencing love, which is interesting. And so look at reducing the recovery time of patients and, and then linking that to the emotional health. So he called all the clinical staff in and, and he obviously uh, the doctors, the nurses, everyone, everyone who worked in that ward and proceeded to obviously tell him the plan uh, that the clinic was to have an atmosphere of creative love. Now, I'm not sure how they did that, but, but obviously being polite and, and most, I don't, every, the few times that I've been to hospital, uh, nurses and doctors are like that anyway, um, but maybe they were even over the top, I don't know, but, but all patients were given large qualities or quantities of love. No unloving attitudes were to be displayed in the presence of patients all nurses and doctors would go about their work in and out of various rooms with a loving attitude, even with each other. Maybe when they got out in the room, they might have complained, but not in front of the patients. Anyway, at the end of the six months, the time spent by patients in hospital was actually cut in half. Now, again, I'm not a research person. Was that coincidence, whatever? But they came to the conclusion that this loving atmosphere reduced, allowed the body to heal quicker and allowed the body to heal better to the point where they could leave hospital because it's nice to be loved, isn't it? It's nice to be loved, absolutely. I don't know if anyone could say that it's not nice to be loved. Look what C.H. Dodd, uh, sorry, R.C. Sproul says about love when it comes to Christianity and the New Testament. He says, in the New Testament, love is more of a verb than a noun. A verb is a what? A doing word. It's more of a verb than a noun. There's more to do with acting than with feeling. The call to love is, is not so much a call to a certain state of feeling as it is a call to action. And so to love one another is a call to action. To love one another is a call to do something. Let's have a look at Jesus' words, and this is our main text as we look at this, and it's very famous when it comes to the loving one another passage. Uh, John chapter 13, verse 34 and verse 35 up on your screens. Now, this is the words of Jesus. Just prior to this, he's washed his disciples' feet. He actually says, go and do likewise, or go and do this, uh, do this to one another, actually. Uh, he's, 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 he's sharing all this stuff, and he talks about how Peter's going to deny him, all this, 
and then he shares this very, very important passage. He says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. I've got a slide just in translation. As you love one another, as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Two verses, incredibly powerful, incredibly profound, and sets the foundation for what the church should do, who the church should be, and how the church should interact with each other. And actually, that interaction has an effect on the people who aren't in the church. And Jesus says, right at the beginning, He says, a new commandment. And I can imagine the disciples saying, whoa, 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 Jesus, Jesus has got something new to say. And maybe He called them in and says, hey, come on in. This is new. You haven't, if it's new, you haven't heard it before. You haven't heard this. So, so really listen, because what I'm about to tell you is, is new. It's not old. It's, it's not like Anthony uses the same illustrations every couple of sermons. This is new. And what is it? What is new? It's a commandment. It's a commandment. What is a commandment? Well, a commandment is a command. It's an order. A commandment is a command, it's an order. It's, it's, it's not a suggestion. A command is, is not a request. A command is an order. Jesus didn't say, a new suggestion I give you, a new request I give you. No, he says, a new command I give to you, a new commandment I give to you. So a command is an order. Because this is serious, what Jesus is saying. So if you don't obey the command in any, any setting or any form, or in any order, you're disobeying who? The person who, what? Gives the command, the authority that brings the command. And so Jesus is saying, this is new, you haven't heard it, and guess what? It's a commandment, I want you to obey this. If you don't, you're not listening to the authority that it comes from, which is God. What is the command? Well, it's pretty obvious. It's mentioned three times in two verses. Love one another, love one another, love one another. Now remember, I think we've mentioned this, that when the Scripture says something once, we obviously pay attention. If it says that sometimes you'll see it repeat it, it really is saying you... And that, what do we see here? Three times Jesus says it. And in fact, if you read a little bit further on, He even mentions it again. This concept of loving one another, loving one another. Christians, you're on the same team, your teammates, Christians, your family, Christians, you're a body... Uh, you know, this part of the body doesn't hate this part of the body. You, you, you don't want to do that. You're a team. Love one another. That's what he's saying. Who is the one another? We as followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, this commandment applies to you. And what I find really cool before we go into the one another bit, is if you flick over to the next slide, Aaron, it says this. There's a byproduct to this loving one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if, that's, that circle should be around the if, if you have love for one another. So the key aspect here is if, if you have love for one another, what's the byproduct? All will know that you are my disciples. That if we love one another as Christ, as our example, people should notice. People should notice that we are Christians, 
says it right there. Jesus says the greatest evangelistic tool or the greatest tool for being a witness is Christians loving one another like he has loved us. By this, guess what? People are going to notice and say, wow, they're Christians. And we see this in the early church. The early church did, took this command and ran with it. People couldn't believe that the love that the, the Christians had for one another. And they were like, wow, so much so that this love for one another was seen as like a uniform, like, a, like, a, like they were wearing something. Now, they weren't physically wearing something. When you see, the, let, here it is, guys, when you see the Fremantle Dockers in their beautiful uniform, you know they're winning, okay? That's the only one you're going to get out of me. How do you know they're a Fremantle Docker player? Because of their uniform. And, and because they're good. Um, it's the same. Jesus is saying that, that as a Christian, our love would be that strong and that obvious. It would be like we're wearing a uniform. Sam, can you please stand up? Is that uniform obvious? What does he belong to? Why aren't you in kids' ministry? If you're wearing that shirt, are oh, you in checking? But this is what he's saying, that our, our love for one another would be like that fluorescent shirt there. Maybe not as repulsive, but, but obvious. That we knew and know that you're part of this team. That's the byproduct of loving one another. Look at this quote here by Francis Schaeffer, the Presbyterian theologian. Uh, he says this, Our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. Christian community is the final. Non-Christians, people who aren't a part of the church or, or, or don't know Jesus, they, can, they see what happens. And sometimes they ask questions, why, why, why? You talk about this, but you act like this. They're watching. Absolutely, they're watching. And so what Jesus says, and then Francis says, that our relationship with each other is the way the world will judge the message. Jesus says the way you love one another, that, they'll, they'll determine whether they see you as a disciple or a follower of me or not. Now Jesus, in this two verses, though he says it's a new commandment, you could argue, hey Jesus, it's new, but it does sound a little bit familiar, doesn't it? There's an Old Testament passage, Leviticus 19, 18, up here on the screen, it talks about loving one another, but it says, you shall love your neighbour as what? Say it out loud, yourself. Which is, which is good, because generally you love yourself. You don't, generally don't say bad things or treat yourself bad. Or, you know, you, you, that's a pretty good standard. And Leviticus 19, 18, love, uh, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. So what is the measuring stick? We'll see here, next slide, Aaron, is self. The guide here is for, for measuring how much love we have or for measuring the love that we have to other people is self. How I love myself is how I will love others. It's very good. But Jesus says this is a new commandment and he builds, on, he builds on this commandment. You might think there's not much difference, but there is. The new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. What is the measuring stick now? Is it self so when we, when we say self, well, you know, that's how I feel, that's how I think, why would that person be? We use ourselves as the measuring stick. But when we use this one, which is Jesus, love one another as I have loved you, the measuring stick has changed. The measuring stick is no longer self, 
the measuring stick is Jesus. And what I find so incredible about this commandment is that every time we try to obey it, or any time we want to put it in action, who do we have to focus on? Jesus. Again, nothing wrong with the first one, but, but this second one forces us to focus on Jesus. If we're to love one another as, as Jesus loved us, then we focus on Jesus. We need to know how Jesus loved. The measuring stick has shifted. The measuring stick has changed to being Jesus. So how do we do this? How do we love like Jesus? Let's have a look at a few different ways. The first way we can love like Jesus is it looks out, or Jesus' love looks out for the best interests of others. Even, and this is the hard bit, this is the sucky bit, this is the bit that requires obedience and, sac- and sacrifice, looks out for the best interests of others, even at the expense of self. Jesus' love was, was looking out for others at his expense, a costly expense. Here's a quote, C.H. Dodd. I uh, thought it was a bit earlier. He says this, love is the willingness, and I love this is rich, love is the willingness to surrender that which has value in our own life to enrich the life of, of another person, of someone else. So what, what, what do you find as valuable and are you willing to give that up? Are you willing to give that to someone else? That's the cost that Jesus, uh, the love that Jesus has, he, what has value he is willing to give. So if it's, if it's money for you, are you willing to give it to someone else? If it's going to enrich their life, if it's, if whatever it is, it might not be that. Time or, 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 or something that you have, would you be willing to give it to someone else if it was to make their life richer? A love like Jesus is one that looks out for the best interest of others, even at the expense of self. John 15, 13 says this, greater love, now this is a, an appropriate passage, when do they normally read this one? Tomorrow, don't they? An, an Anzac Day uh, passage they would read. A greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That is, that is the ultimate demonstration of, of a love that looks out for the best interests of others, even at the expense of self. We're called to love wholeheartedly. We're called to love sacrificially, uh, like God loves us. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. Of course, it's, it's not easy. This is what the loving one another is. Community is hard. Community takes work. Community is not perfect, but this is what we're striving for. Uh, it's hard enough to do this in, a, in a, a family setting, isn't it? It's hard enough to do this with your own relatives. And that should be our desire as well, that we would live like this, that we would love like this. And then and Jesus says, well, actually, your, your church is your family, and I want you to demonstrate and strive to, to love like I has, have loved you in those relationships as well. And you can apply these to all your relationships, and it will have a, a positive effect in those, in those spheres. Not easy, but positive. And that's what we should be striving for. The next thing uh, about the love of Jesus is one, uh, so we looked at the interests of others, it's, it's a doing word. Not just a gooey feeling in your stomach. Do you remember that gooey feeling? I remember that when I found out there's this one girl. It's only happened to me once. It was like in year nine or something, liked me. I found out from a friend of a friend. I mean, she, they might have been lying. But I got that gooey feeling in my stomach. Like, oh, wow, someone likes me. 
Um, <laughs> you guys are all looking at me like, you are a loser. But, so, so again, it's not just that gooey feeling, and you may have it for your, even your, your, your husband or your wife or your children, a gooey feeling in your stomach, it's actually a doing word. It's actually action. It's a verb, and we saw that from the, the sprawl, uh, R.C. Sprawl quote. It meets practical needs. It meets practical needs. Gooey feelings don't meet practical needs. Okay, they may feel good, but they don't actually meet practical needs. A love that is a verb, a love that is an action, actually meets practical needs. It gives, it shares, it spends time with, it does, it helps. Remember the, the, the series a few years ago, we, talked, we used the phrase, love speaks. Do you remember that? Some of you nodding your head. Meaning that our love speaks by the, the actions, by the outworking of it. And I, I, I've told, I tell this story all the time, I'm going to tell it again, because it's the best way to explain this. And that is the one, many, many years ago, I had an interaction with my nonna on the phone. I rang her up because I hadn't seen her for a, a few months. I rang her up and I said, hello, nonna. She said, hello, Tony. You need to do the drop-off. No, she didn't say that. I said, I haven't seen you and we're talking. And anyway, right at the end, I said, nonna, I love you. And she said, oh, Tony, you love me. She said this, very, very powerful, very, very strong. I thought I was going to be written out of the will. She said, do you love me with your lips? Do you love me with your lips? Or do you love me with your heart? Do you love me with your lips? Oh, mate. Ugh. What she was saying was, talk is cheap. You're saying you love me. If you did, you would come and what? Visit. I should, because it's beautiful, Pastor. Get a great feed. Um, but 100% right. Do you love me with your lips or do you love me with your heart? If you love me with your heart, it, love is an action. Love is an action. Jesus' love is all about love in action. It's not just about saying, it's about doing. Um, so that, so that, that's the type of love in our community. The Bible talks about one another. It's a doing action. It's a doing word. It's a loving in action. What practical needs can you meet? What, what can you give? What can you share? How can you help? That's the type of love that Christ has. The third one is Christ's love was pleasing to God, not Himself, which is an interesting one. Jesus' love was pleasing to the Father, not Himself. Our love must be pleasing to God. We don't love to please someone else, we don't even love to please self so it feels good. We actually love, this love to love one another is actually to please God, to please the Father. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, about, uh, before he's about to be betrayed and handed over to, to the religious rulers where he would face his trial and eventually go to be crucified. And it says that he is in there and he is sweating drops of what? Drops of blood. If it, look, God, Father, please take this cup from me. But, but then he says, it's your will. Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But then he says, whatever. It's not my will that matters. It's yours be done. It's your will that's important. And when it comes to love, this is the same mindset that we need to have. That actually we're not doing it to please this person. We're not doing it even to feel good. We're not doing it to impress uh, uh, the pastor or my small group leader. We're actually doing it because the Father, to please the Father. 
We love one another to please the Father. Uh, Christ's love was pleasing to God. We must love to please God, not to feel good about ourselves, but to please God. Um, lately, God has been laying on my heart quite heavily uh, about homeless people. We've got a lot where we, our new suburb that we live, there's quite a few people who live out on the streets. And, and I've always been, uh, I don't know, somewhat skeptical. Oh, what, you know, what are they going to do with the money? And, but, but really, over the last year or so, God really said, Anthony, I don't care what they do. This is about me and about you. Your job is just to give it. Your job is to share it. Your job is to love. Your job is to please me. Don't worry about that person in the sense of, oh, are they gonna, are they gonna, what are they going to buy? A chocolate? Mm, they should have bought an apple. Or are they going to spend it on drugs? And, and I know there's sometimes helping can actually be harmful, but it was more about me, him saying to me, your job is to honour me and please me. That's all. You be faithful in that and I'll worry about the rest. I'll worry about the rest. Actually, funny though, I'd go, there was a, a couple of weeks ago, there was one guy, I bought him a little roast meal. I came out and gave it to him. I also had uh, some fruit, uh, cut up fruit, and I gave him, I said, mate, you're hungry? He's like, yeah, I'm really hungry. I said, here, buddy, have this. And then he said, oh, what about the fruit? For the dessert, he said. I said, the fruit's for my kids. And then he said, do you have any cutlery? I said, it's not a restaurant, mate. Just open it and, and eat it. So anyway, I went and got him stuff out about it. I had to go. I'm like, man, is there anything else you want, sir? Some water and uh, some napkins? But again, the point is, it's not about that person. It's about me and pleasing God. And that's the way our love should be. Is this person going to receive it right? Doesn't matter. Does it even matter if they acknowledge it? Doesn't matter. It's about pleasing God. Fourth one, Christ or Jesus' love was on uh, his own free will. I know this might sound contradicting that it was to please the Father, but, but the, the point I'm trying to make is he made a deliberate decision. Jesus made a deliberate decision to love. Jesus, who is fully God, comes down to us fully human and fully God. He made a decision to come to us. He makes a decision to love us, to come to us. Um, and, and sometimes that's what we have to do, we have to wake up and, and make a willful decision, I will love today. Now, I'm not saying in, uh, hear me, I want to be very clear on this, in abusive relationships where you're being exploited and being harmed, or I'm not saying that, okay? If, if that is the case, you need to remove yourself from that situation and find help. But for the majority when, uh, with us and dealing with people, even people we find hard to get along with or we struggle with, we have to make a willful decision to say, I will love this person. I will love my children today. Or I will, maybe it's ooh, not a very good example. Um, come on, parents, don't, don't say you've never thought that. Okay, whatever, a work colleague, a person at church, a sporting teammate, just, I will love them, I will love them, I will love them. You make a willful decision to love them today. Look at Romans 5, 8 says, and this is what, again, who's our example? God, Jesus. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we will still sin as Christ died for us. So we're going to say, are we going to love people only when they do this or only when they treat us or only when they, then we will love? No, we make a decision to love decision to love, just like 
God did. He demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners. Fifth one, second last, we're almost there on the home stretch. This might sound a bit weird, but it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Love, and when we do it sacrificially, when we, when we do it uh, to the point where uh, we are being obedient to how Jesus is calling us to do it, there's a cost to that. Was there a cost for Jesus? 100% there was. Do you think it hurt Jesus when he was on the cross? Do you think it hurt Jesus when he was being whipped and lashed and mocked and spat on? That he focused on the Father? But my point is this, is it does hurt sometimes to love. It may not be reciprocated. It may be taken advantage of. Again, our job is to be faithful to God. It may cost in that I have to give something up that I really wanted to. And so, therefore, it will hurt. It, and, and sometimes when we love, people let us down, don't they? People in, the, in our families, people in the church let us down. I let you down. You let each other down. Okay, and, but that's, that's when we choose to love, there's a sense of vulnerability there that we hand over. Because we can't control the response, how it's received. And therefore, there's a cost. We could get hurt. It's going to hurt. It is going to hurt if we're to love like the sacrificial love that Jesus is calling us to love. The last one is how we, we can maybe strive, and that's allow God's love to fill your heart. I think that the greater we get an understanding of how God loves us and how much God loves us, how much Jesus loves us, the work and all that, then, then if we fill up, to use one of Peter's phrase, from the overflow we will love. The more we fill up with God's love, from the overflow, we will do that loving. And that's a, that's a lot easier place to do it. I'm not saying it is easy. I'm saying it's easier if we're doing it without that, then we're, it's really, really hard. Allow God's love to fill your heart. Look at this here, John, 1 John 4.19. And the reason we love is we love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. We need to keep reminding ourselves of the love of God. We're a child of God. He loves us, therefore I can love. Look out for the best interests of others, even if it's at the expense of self. Remember, love is a doing word. It's not just a gooey feeling. It requires action. Remember, Jesus' love was pleasing to God, not to himself or to others. Remember that Jesus' love uh, was of his own free will, and therefore we have to make a deliberate decision Remember that sometimes loving hurts. And finally, allow God's love to fill your heart. Let me finish with this last story as we bring it all together. Uh, it was a, a story uh, about an alligator, of all things, on a hot summer day in South Florida. A little boy uh, decided to go for a swim in a swimming hole behind his house. Have you seen those houses that have kind of like the glades, is it? I don't know, like little rivers and there's, there's real animals in that thing, you know. Anyway, this little boy went swimming, uh, hurried to dive in at the cool water. He ran to the back block, uh, leaving behind his shoes, socks, shirt. He went flying in. He dove in, not realising as he dove in, he was swimming towards the middle of the lake. There was also an alligator on the shore. Obviously, when the alligator saw the boy came in, he thought, lunch. And so he started to swim towards the boy. 
His mother was in the house and was looking out the window and could see the two were getting closer and closer to each other, the child and the alligator. In utter fear, the mum ran out of the house towards the water, yelling to her son so, so loud, get out of the water, get out of the water. Now, hearing her, uh, there's nothing, you know, when you hear your mum yell, you can hear it, can't you? You might ignore it, but you can hear your mum yell from anywhere. This little boy heard the mum yelling and he started to swim. He started to swim towards the shore, obviously frightened and alarmed. He now could also see the alligator and realise why his mum was yelling. He started to swim towards the shore, almost got to the shore, but it was too late. The alligator grabbed the young boy's legs. And as the alligator reached and grabbed the the young boy's legs, the mum had made her way down to the the edge of the lake at that time and actually grabbed the young boy's arms. This is a true story. You you can look it up on the internet uh, in the the Florida Times or whatever. Anyway, it became a tug of war. Now, it's okay he did not get ripped in half, okay, just so you know. Um, Eventually, they're tugging and they're pulling, the mum's yelling and yelling and yelling, a a, a farmer from down the road actually heard, and so he came running and actually helped, uh, got to the point where he um, fought off the alligator as well, the alligator released the child and um, the child was safe, obviously had bites all down its legs. Anyway, they interviewed the little uh, the boy. His legs were extremely scarred uh, by this attack. And on his arms were these deep scratches uh, from his mum's nails. And when they interviewed this little boy, the, the interviewer was asking about the scars on his legs. He's like, wow, your legs have been ripped up by the, the, the alligator. Do they hurt? And, and he's like, yeah, they are. And then he said, but you should see the scars on my arms. He said, the scars on my arms uh, are awesome. I have them because my mum would not let go. How cool is that? He's like, don't worry about the scars on my legs. These are the ones I remember because why? My mum wouldn't let go. It was a demonstration of of love that his mum would not let go of him. And he'll ever be reminded of that. We need to remember that Jesus, that God loves us so much, so much, that it's by His wounds we are healed. That He loves us so much that He doesn't let go of us. He doesn't let go of us. He saves us. He rescues us. He loves us to the point where He will not let go. We need to come back to that every single time. When we think of that commandment, we think of Jesus and we think of Him holding on to us, fighting for us. That's how much love He has for us. And because of that love, we can love one another. Is it easy? No. No, it's hard. Is the, is the uh, byproduct uh, of benefit? Absolutely. Beneficial. Jesus says other people see and, and know that we're his disciples, but also for us. Because when it works, when it comes together, it's, it's beautiful. 
Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Then by doing this, uh, others will know that I am your disciple. You are my disciples. So love one another. Let's bow and pray. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for the, the, firstly, the love that you showed us, that you loved us, that while, while we were still sinners, while we still had turned our back on you, you loved us that you send your son to us to, 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 to love us, you made a deliberate decision to love us, to come down to us. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us in our communities, in our family units, in our other communities, but Lord, in our church here at Lakeside, as we wrestle with these one another's over the next 14 weeks, that you would help us to take that on board, to, to apply it in our lives, to apply it in our, in our church here at Lakeside. And that starts with loving one another. Father, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. But Father, help us to strive to love one another better. It's pretty important to you. You mentioned it three times in two verses, Lord. May people from the outside, may people in our community see the love that we have for each other and say, wow, something different about those people. They must be followers of Jesus. May we do this by the power of your Spirit. We pray everything in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together.